This is Tanakh. Welcome back to TanakhCast. This is episode 15, Exodus chapters 1 through 4. So with the death of Yosef and his embalming and the conclusion of the book of Genesis, so ends the family drama. In its place, within five verses of the first chapter in Exodus, we get the children of Israel, a proto-nation, a swarm, a mighty number, filling the land of Egypt. Which arouses some concern from the new king in Egypt, who did not know Yosef, nor did he respect the most favored nation status given to Yosef's family and their descendants. Within four verses, the Jews are enslaved, making bricks and building cities for Pharaoh. But this is not enough. Pharaoh wants population control as well. A curious move, since an economy built on slavery would need more slaves, not less. Nevertheless, attempts to encourage midwives to kill the male babies does not work, so he resorts to a policy of male infanticide, which seems to work better. We know this because in chapter 2 we are introduced to a humble, nameless Levite family who, after giving birth to a son, set the boy afloat in a little ark of papyrus loamed with pitch down the Nile. The baby is discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who adopts the boy, knowing full well the boy is a Jew. Arrangements are made with the boy's sister for the baby to be nursed, and within a dozen verses, the baby Moshe is now a man, a veritable prince of Egypt, yet fully aware of his ancestry, as the text tells us that, quote, he went out to his brothers and saw their burdens. And while being out and about, Moshe becomes embroiled in two incidents which change his life. He witnesses a taskmaster beating a Jew and kills the taskmaster. Then, the following day, he intercedes between two Jews and realizes that his crime is not as secret as he had thought. Within two verses, he flees, abandoning his life in the palace and Egypt for the land of Midian, where he finds a place in the household of Yitro, fully intending to live out his days in obscurity as a shepherd. But as chapter 2 concludes, God hearkened to their moaning. God called to mind his covenant with Abraham, with Yitzchak, and with Yaakov. God saw the children of Israel. God knew. And so, God reaches out to Moshe through a burning bush in the desert, a bush that burns but is not consumed, and charges him with a simple task. Quote, So now, go, for I send you to Pharaoh. Bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moshe balks. Who am I of all people to go? What will I tell the Jews so that they will take me seriously? Will they really believe me? I can't talk in front of people. God grows impatient with Moshe, then angry. God says, quote, Who placed a mouth in human beings? Or who is it that makes one mute or deaf or open-eyed or blind? Is it not I, Adonai? So now go. I myself will be there with your mouth and will instruct you as to what you are to speak. Finally, the matter is settled. Aharon, Moshe's brother, will come along and do the talking. So Moshe and his family set out to Egypt, and after a strange incident involving an even angrier god, Moshe's son, his foreskin, and a bridegroom of blood, they connect with Aharon, who leads Moshe back to Egypt, to the elders and the people who, after hearing God's words and seeing God's signs, bowed low and did homage. So there's a lot to talk about in this week's portion, and we have our first guest speaker this week, Dan Liebenson. Let's get to it. So welcome to Tanakhcast, Dan. Uh, I'm talking to Dan Liebenson. I'm sitting in Toronto. You're sitting in Chicago. Um, do you want to sort of introduce yourself to the six people that listen to this podcast on a regular basis? 
Is it that many? Uh, yeah, actually. But my mom, I think, including her, it makes, it makes six. Yeah. That's exciting. Um, well, I'm the president of a new organization called the Institute for the Next Jewish Future. We're focused on thinking about and training new leaders for the Jewish community as we go into the 21st century. And the reason I'm interested in this particular portion of the Tanakh is that I think that we are in a desert generation ourselves today, um, just like the Israelites were in the sense that they were in a transition from one way of being Jewish, in their case as slaves in Egypt, to another mm-hmm. as free people in Canaan. And I think that we're in a transition from a way of being Jewish that we've had for at least the last hundred years and maybe the last thousand years. And we're looking towards a new way of being Jewish as the 21st century opens. And I think we're in a period of transition now. So that's why I'm especially interested in these stories. So what particular aspect, because, you know, a lot of things go on in Exodus chapters one through four. Um, and it's, it's almost, you know, if you actually look at the text very closely, there's a lot of, you know, not exposition, but a lot happens. So what in particular about, you know, in these, in these four chapters is something that, you're in, that, that sort of captures your fancy or speaks to you as this, you know, as thinking about new forms of leadership, new forms of community? Well, I'm especially interested in the character of Moses as a leader. Um, and I think that this section of Exodus is really our introduction to Moses as a person and then as the very beginning moments of his transition to becoming a leader. And I think it's interesting to to look at that element of the story and to think about whether we see ourselves in it. So for, for, for the casual listener, do you want to sort of break down for us the various stages that uh, Moshe goes through in these four chapters? Because, you know, in terms of like the classic story of the hero, you know, if you think of, say, you know, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, he starts out as a nobody and then becomes a somebody. And in fact, what you sort of have here with Moshe is the exact opposite. Well, that's a really interesting perspective. Um, I guess he starts off as a nobody and he pretty quickly becomes a somebody and then he goes back to being a nobody again. Um, not sure which literary character that's like. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. Um, but he, I think what's, what's especially interesting to me um, is the original, is the early, the story that, that comes pretty early in, in, in Exodus uh, where Moshe is a prince of Egypt and he goes out and he sees um, an Egyptian taskmaster uh, whipping or beating a, a Jewish slave or an Israelite slave and he kills that taskmaster. Um, to some extent, that's an interesting story in and of itself because it tells us a little bit about Moses' personality. So he goes out the next day and two Israelites are fighting with each other mm-hmm. and he asks one of them, why did you hit the other one? And the other one, and the, the, the Israelite who was hitting his fellow Israelite uh, says to him, who are you to judge us? Um, and Moses becomes very concerned that he's going to get found out and he flees. And I think what's interesting is that where Moses ultimately gets to the burning bush, the first question that he asks God after God tells him that 
he wants him to that he wants Moses to free the Israelites. Well, the first question that he asks is, "Who am I to do this?" Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but the second question that he asks is, essentially, "Why will the people listen to me?" Um, and I think that there's a fundamental connection to this initial story that Moses is not just asking random questions; he's actually asking questions based on his own experience with the Israelites. And his own experience was that even when they saw him as an Egyptian prince, they didn't want to listen to him. And so now that he's a nobody, why is he going to be listened to? Mm -hmm. So I think that, 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 that looking at this story, the story of the killing of the Egyptian taskmaster and the story of the burning bush, should be actually looked at in, in close juxtaposition to one another. All right, so you mentioned earlier that it says a lot about his personality when he had that whole brush with the Egyptian taskmaster and he killed him. What, what does it say about his personality? Well, I think it says certain things that you might consider good about his personality, such as that he has a sense of justice and injustice, that he wants to right wrongs, um, but it also tell, tells us something about his personality that we see in him time and again later in the story, which is that he's very quick t- to react. He's very reactive. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tend to think very long uh, between a provocation and a, and a reaction. Um, and I think that that's a characteristic that doesn't serve him well in his leadership. Uh, it makes me think of... Um, um, Stephen Covey, in his book called The Eighth Habit, talks about um, a, a quote that I think he read somewhere else that, that goes something like this, that in between stimulus and response, we have a space, and in that space, we have the um, opportunity to choose our response. Mm-hmm. And so Stephen Covey's advice is to try to make that space as large as possible, to try to take some time after a provocation before you react so that you have a chance to reflect on what your reaction should be. And that's something that Moses doesn't do in this original story, and I think it describes his personality throughout this story. And yet, though, when he's with confronting God at the, at the burning bush, he is a bit more reflective. Right. I, I mean, when he sees, when something happens to him, such right. as... Um, he sees somebody fighting or the people are complaining to him or, you know, he, all, all the various uh, trials and tribulations that he goes through as a leader. You're right. In the, at the burning bush, he, he's, he's extremely reluctant to take leadership. And I think that that's actually, uh, in terms of the, the, one of the sort of classic hero stories, uh, the reluctant leader is one of them. Um, and it certainly seems to be a major theme in Jewish leadership stories, the, the idea that we see as a good thing that somebody doesn't want to be a leader. Moses is a reluctant leader, and I think that that's a theme in the Bible and in Judaism more broadly, that we have a suspicion of people that want to be the leader. I'm not, I can't, I don't know, Dan, if you can think of, there's a... Um, there's a uh, uh, in 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 the book of Kings. I think there's a story, a parable about a about a, or maybe the book of Judges. It's in Judges, yeah. The Mashal Yotam, the, the Yotam, right. who's the uh, 
son of Gidon when they're looking for a king, and he tells a story about the bramble and the various... They, the trees want to elect a leader. Right, the trees want to elect a leader, and uh, um, none of the qualified trees want to be the leader. And the only... Uh, pers- the only tree or the only plant life that wants to be a leader is a bramble. Um, and in that parable, it's seen as a negative thing that somebody wants to be the leader. That anybody who, it's sort of uh, like the old joke that I wouldn't want to join a club that would have <laughs> me as a member. Exactly. So any, anybody that wants to be the leader, we don't want them. Um, so in that sense, you could see Moses's reaction at the burning bush as a, as a positive thing. Uh, and maybe it is, but I, I, I think that what's important and, and we don't look at enough is is to to look at the story of the burning bush in direct contrast to what Moses himself has experienced uh, primarily in, the, at, at, in this story of the killing of the Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Um, because Moses, because I think that uh, many leaders, essentially, probably I would say all leaders, um, are really... Uh, stuck with their own psychology, and you part of part of what leadership is about is um, dealing with and overcoming your own psychology and your own hangups. But I think that one of the things that a mentor of a leader really needs to do is to try to understand who the person is that they're mentoring and what might have happened in their lives that is making them reluctant in this case or, you know, do, doing something else that might be dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's interesting to look at God's reaction to, to Moses, and I actually find it wanting. Um, I think that Moses is, is asking God, um, uh, you know, when, when I, when I uh, go to the people and I say that uh, God sent me to free you, um, they're going to ask me what his name is. And God says... Uh, which is translated, I am what I am. Um, but I kind of think that it um, might, it, to, to my ear, it sounds more like what we colloquially say as it is what it is, right? <laughs> um, you know, who, who are you? It is what it is. You know, that's not an, to me, that's not an answer. To me, that's, um, that's a dismissive response that doesn't really understand that Moses isn't simply being unconfident. He's reflecting on an experience that he himself had the one time that he tried to exercise leadership earlier in his life mm-hmm. where he was challenged as to who are you to do, to 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 put yourself in this position and in this case he would have to answer and he will have to answer the people who I am is the person that God selected and he's asking for God's help to help him with that conversation and God doesn't really provide that help in my reading and instead God is dismissive of his concerns and then teaches him two parlor tricks teaches him two parlor tricks and essentially uh, those parlor tricks and and the whole conversation again as I read it is that God is basically saying to Moses this isn't about you don't worry about it it's all about me God and you're just my messenger so if the people don't listen to you, um, I'll take care of things, um, either through these miracles or in other ways. And I don't think that that's fundamentally the best way to empower a leader who you're mentoring or who is uh, working under you. I think that you want to give a leader confidence in his own abilities. 
And that doesn't happen here. And, um, and I think that Moses never really gets confidence in his own abilities. Well, uh, later on, I think there, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that this whole interaction between, uh, you know, God and, and, and Moses at the burning bush is kind of a strange, you know, if this is, if this is his big send off to go to Egypt, um, he's not giving him very much, not, not, he's not giving him the tools for success. You know, as, as we say in education, he's not being set up for success. Um, right. and it's actually, I think the only example, which is in a later section when, when, you know, he actually succeeds despite, I guess, you know, the mentoring he gets, it's Yitro, his father-in-law who comes, you know, they, they sort of meet, uh, and Yitro gives him very concrete advice about a judicial system. And, um, and in that instance, um, you know, it's, it's very concrete, it's very specific. Um, and it's sort of, sees, you know, Moshe's experience and understands his experience, understands where he's coming from and says, but still, listen, you know, you can't solve everyone's problems all by yourself. You need to delegate. But that's a whole later issue. Right. And I, I uh, wonder if Moses's lack of delegation ability in some way stems from God's uh, lack of delegation ability, right? That that basically Moses uh, doesn't have a, a role model for delegation, because again, essentially God hasn't delegated the work of leadership to Moses. He's merely sending Moses as a messenger, sort of as a mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Moses is is concerned, God says, you know, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And it's interesting, actually, uh, to reflect. And I, I'm not really putting this together until now, uh, but. Later in in towards the end of uh, chapter four, um, Moses again is still not convinced that he should go, and um, he says that. Um, and after after saying that um, he's a slow of speech and he's not not a good speaker, and God says, um, "Well, you know, who makes somebody able to speak? It's me, God. You know, so don't worry about it." And Moses is still not. Um, still not convinced, God sort of uh, throws up his hand, so to speak, and says, well, isn't your brother Aaron on his way over here? And he's good at speaking. Uh, and he says an interesting uh, phrase. He says, you, uh, he says, Aaron will be your mouth. And I believe, I think that's what he said. He says, Aaron uh, will be your mouth and you will be like a God to him. Let's see. Vehaya, vayahu yihia Right? Mm-hmm. So Aaron will be your mouth and you will be his God. And it's interesting to think about what that means to God to be a God, right? I mean, it's, it seems like it means that you're the guy in charge and the other guy is just a mouth. And so in that sense, that was what God was, was trying to achieve with Moses and Moses wouldn't do it. So he's now telling Moses, okay, well, you hire a guy to do your job, <laughs> right? And, and if you think about it in, in, a, in a kind of employment setting, I think it's interesting, right, that that God is the big boss and he's hiring Moses to do this job and Moses isn't confident and says, you know, that he doesn't know if he can do that job. And rather than taking him under his wing and coaching him, as Yitro does later, God instead gets very upset and eventually says, OK, well, you hire a guy. Or I'll bring some, I have somebody in mind and he's coming. <laughs> right. But then what's Moses's role in the whole thing? 
at that point, right? Why doesn't God just hire Aaron directly? So this is a lot of uh, very sound advice for the for future leaders uh, here in the Psukim, in the verses of uh, of Exodus chapter four. What what do you, you know? You know, since we're since we're talking about chapter four, you know, I've always that that bit toward the end. You know, you know the part I'm talking about with the foreskin. Yeah. What what you know that comes completely out of I don't even know what to make of that in you know, this very kind of rational story of uh, as you said you know who's going to be the leader who's going to be the mouthpiece how are we going to move forward and achieve this this goal and then there's this whole interlude about you know that he hadn't circumcised his son right and then. Um, and that, you know, the, the, the translation that I'm using renders it that, that God comes to them at night and tries to kill the child. Right. Is it, and uh, is it clear from the translation whether God is trying to kill the child or trying to kill Moses? Well, it says there, you know, that I, I use the Everett Fox in English for the folks at home to fo- who are following along. It says that it's in chapter uh, 4, verse 24. Now it was on the journey at the night camp that Adonai encountered him and sought to make him die. And so it's not really sure, clear who is, uh, in the verse before, there's still a conversation, you know, where God's talking to Moses and says, you know, this is what I'm, you should go and talk to Pharaoh and tell him all these things. But then Zipporah, you know, in verse 25, you know, she grabs a flint, she circumcises her son, and then she touches it to his legs. And again, it's not clear who his, who, who, whose legs those are and says, indeed, a bridegroom of blood are you to me. And thereupon God releases them. Right. I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that, because I, I really don't know what to make about this bridegroom of blood business and the circumcision cutting. Because um, then it goes right back into the story where you know God says to Aaron, okay, Moshe is in the wilderness. Go meet him. You're going to do the talking. He's going to do the, the staff waving, I guess. Um, and then you're going to work this out. Right. It's a very bizarre story. So when you're thinking about future Jewish leaders, do you talk about the bridegroom of blood? I'd, I'd like to I'd like to figure out what what that might mean. I think it's an interesting. I mean, it right. The 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 question is. I mean, what's interesting, right, is that from verse twenty four, right, it's not clear that he's trying to kill Moses because he hasn't circumcised his son, right? The mm-hmm. circumcision of the son is done, and that somehow prevents the killing. But it makes me wonder whether God is trying to kill Moses because he is dissatisfied with his performance at the burning bush. Right? We, we know about God uh, in the story that he tends to try to kill people that he doesn't uh, like anymore right? and that displease him. By the way, I, I think that one of the things that I'm really interested in in the whole arc of the Moses story is at the very end, and I know we're going to get there only in a few years, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, in the story, the end, the story that's the end of Moses's leadership, where he hits the rock. Mm-hmm. God, I think, by that point, has actually grown a lot as a leader, and in some ways, uh, Moses has not. In many ways, Moses has, but in certain ways, God actually knows how to handle that situation, and Moses doesn't. And so, I think it's interesting to look at the arc of God's growth as a leader over the course of the Exodus story and the arc of Moses' growth as a leader over the course of the Exodus story. And I think that God is not so likely to kill people anymore by the end. 
So I, I, I wonder whether in some ways this part of the story can be interpreted as God trying to kill Moses because of, he was unsatisfied with, with him at the burning bush. In some ways, that's actually the, the, the most effective thing that Moses does as a leader. I don't want to say the only effective thing, but it really is his great skill is to talk God down off the ledge. And it's interesting to think about this part of the story as the first moment where Moses sees somebody else uh, talking God off the ledge. So we see in this story, essentially, where Moses' weaknesses lie. And then we also see him getting a glimpse of something that he ends up being very effective at, which is getting God to become less angry. You know, I, one of the things that I, I think is, is, is worth considering in, in this story and, and throughout the whole story that we're going to see during the Exodus is that the traditional way of reading these stories has been to read the character of God and the character of Moses as almost beyond reproach, that God is God and all-powerful and, and mm. everything that God does is inherently right and must have a reason, and that Moses is the most humble man ever in the world, and he mm -hmm. uh, was just a fantastic leader, and Moshe Rabbeinu, our, our great sage. And even though we tend to revel in the idea that the Genesis characters are flawed heroes, I mean, the, the tradition understands the Genesis characters as flawed heroes, but the traditional reading tends to be of Moses as, as not so flawed. And I think that that actually removes from us the ability to learn from the story. If, if these are stories about perfect characters, then what do they really have to do with us? Except for the possibility that we should aspire to be more like them. But when you see, when you see stories like this one, where it's hard to see exactly how Moses is admirable in this story. Mm -hmm. He's so unconfident. And, it, and, I, and I think it's important to point out how God is not really admirable in this story. I, I think that it, it's a valuable reading to look at God as essentially dismissive of Moses in this story and not a fatherly sort of mentor. And if we read these stories uncritically, if we read these characters uncritically, then what do they really have to do with us? But in my own experience as a leader, I, I think that every day, every week, I, I'm called upon to help less experienced staff members through challenging things that are going on in their professional or even personal lives. And if I conducted myself in the way that God is conducting this interaction, it wouldn't go very well. And so I think that it's actually a helpful reading to read God here as not having handled it very well and to look later in the story at the implications, the results of God's not having handled this story very well because it becomes then a, a kind of a cautionary tale for us and to ask ourselves, and, and I think that you um, made the connection between Yitro's visit and I think that it's a useful connection to make and a useful contrast to, to, to look at when that story comes up and, and to see the difference between a mentor who is dismissive and a mentor who tries to coach the leader as to how to do a better job. And I think that we can, we can learn from, from this story to say, 
you know, th there's a concept in, in Judaism of you know, that you should walk in God's ways. But I think it'd be interesting to explore the concept of not walking in God's ways uh, <laughs> when God's ways are, 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 are problematic. And I say that, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think that that's um, overly controversial, because I think it's important to see how God changes over the course of the story and to see how God grows and to walk in God's way is to grow. And if we look at God as perfect and not a character who changes and not a character who grows, then we take out growth as one of God's ways. And I think that that would be unfortunate. I think that one of the aspects that, make God, that makes God a hero in the story is his capacity to grow and his capacity to improve as a leader over the course of the story. Well, thank you so much for your perspective and insight into leadership, into Moses and God's failings or successes as a mentor and Moses as a leader. And we'll, uh, we'll hopefully trace these themes as we go through future portions here in the book of Exodus. So thank you for your time. My pleasure. And thanks thank for you driving joining. me. Yeah, it was my pleasure as well. You can leave a comment, question, or quement at the Facebook page at facebook.com slash TanakhCast, T-A-N-A-K-H-C-A-S-T, or at thenextjew.com, or leave a comment, question, or quement at the iTunes store. And while you're at it, why not leave a review? That way other folks who are looking for a little Tanakh learning might discover this humble podcast and join in the fun. As always, you're invited to come back and join us next week-ish for episode 16 on Exodus chapters 5 through 8. We'll all come back now. Here.